Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. We're in this series called, everybody say weird. We're in this series called Weird. I hope you've been here for the last couple of them, and, and this is actually part four. This is a, if you ever, if you ever pick up what we do, a lot of our series are, you know, kind of four weeks or maybe five and six every once in a while. It's a five-week series, and, and really, this was a series that just, for some reason, it caught my attention, and, and really, it begins with this idea where Jesus is talking to a massive group of people, and he says this. He says, if you really want to follow God in life, he said, recognize that there will always be kind of a narrow path. And only a few people will find it, but it'll lead to life. Now, there's other paths that are broad, but they lead to like all kinds of chaos in your life. And there's a whole bunch of people that find it. And what he was saying was, is that normal, what people deem as normal, what the world and culture deems as normal is typically a wide path. And it really leads to destruction or chaos in your life. But there's a God path and that God path is narrow. It's different. Only a few people find it. And what we know is this, is whenever just a few people are doing it, the masses typically look at it and say, man, that's kind of weird. And we, we've looked at this. We looked at the idea that Jesus, when he talked to this same group of people, began to talk about praying and giving, and that's kind of normal religious and church stuff. But then he started talking about something called fasting. And he was like, I want you to fast. And that's, that should be normal behavior. But to everybody else, it's pretty weird. And fasting is this idea where literally they would go... For, for a day or three days with nothing to eat and only water to drink. And they would call it fasting. And during these times of fasting, they would dedicate themselves to prayer and to, to seeking God or repentance or whatever it was. Last week, we talked about something that I think is very, very much a part of our culture right now is like how we make decisions, how we make choices. Because there's a normal way to make choices. And pretty much the normal way to make choices is well, whatever makes me happy or gets me the most amount of success or progress or money, that's how I gauge and judge and determine what it is that I do in life and how I make decisions. So if it's going to make me happy, do it. If it doesn't make me happy, don't do it, bless God. The enemy of, of, of happiness is my enemy, and that's the enemy of progress is my enemy, and that's how we make decisions. But we determine what, what the Bible says is that godly people, these weird people, these people that follow Jesus to a measure that they're on a narrow path, they make decisions based on what God has said is right, simply because it's right. That that becomes the criteria for how they make decisions. Today, we'll talk about another thing. Again, there are people in our church that do this. It's going to sound crazy. There are people that do this in our church, though. They are weird about their money. They're so weird. They do things that if you told your friends, if your family knew, if other people knew, they would look at you, they would whisper, they'd be like, that dude's nuts. And, and, and they would say all kinds of weird stuff because of how weird some of you are about your money. We're talking about weird money today. Do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray as we begin. God, as we open up these words, your words, God, I pray that our, our ears would be open to hear, our mind be open to think, and our heart be open to receive. God, help us to, 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 to wrestle with these ideas, to struggle with these ideas, God. But ultimately, God, help us to set our heart on you, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. We all said amen. So the, the way that I started looking at this, this message simply was to ask myself, well, like, okay, what is it that, that normal is when it comes to money? And, and what is it that, that's weird? And what I found was is that when I think about it and I boil it down to its simplicity, that normal, when we look at our money, is just think, that's mine. Doesn't that feel normal? Like, that's mine. When you're a little kid, um, and you're playing with your toys, and some dude, some jack wagon tries to take your toy, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, back up off. That's mine. 
And as a, as a early little kid, you can see, if you're parents, you know this. Because talk, we're talking about when they're two. Some of their first words are mommy, daddy, and mine. And I don't know, I don't know that I totally understand why that is. And so sharing, it, it's a rarity when you look at your kids. If you got five kids, one of them was good at sharing, right? The four of them were like mine. You know, they're little birds from Nemo. Just mine, mine, mine. And that's the way that it was. But, but to be honest, I don't know that a lot changes. Because when we get older... This is why, like, when, when you start making uh, real money, not, not like, you know, like, scrapping up stuff for, like, mowing lawns when you're under the table cash, because that's awesome back in the day. But when you start making real money, remember the first time you got a real paycheck? And you started, like, looking at all kinds of weird stuff. You're like, who the heck is FICA? And why is they taking my money? You know, you, you start looking at all these lines, but, like, that's mine. And the government doesn't even trust you to give it to them. They take it before you get it. Because what they're saying is, mine. The government's taking, that's mine. you looking at it like, that's mine. And, and it's, that's how life is. And then we, we just get older and older and older. And we start collecting stuff or consuming stuff. And we just think that that's, that's mine. And so I think, what is the key difference between these weird people of God, these radical Christ followers? What do they do that's so different? And I'll tell you in just a minute, but Jesus spells it out really, really clearly, and he uses like some strange terminology that you and I wouldn't understand, but the people in his day clearly understood. I want to dive in. Let's look at some Bible verses. If you like a lot of Bible verses in a sermon, you should dig this sermon. Here we go. Jesus is talking, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and he says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. There's moth, and then there's rust, and then thieves can steal stuff. They can cut your hose and siphon your gas like jerks. Don't lay up for yourselves on earth, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because in heaven, apparently, not all animals get there. There's no moth in heaven. Apparently, there's no rust. I don't know what science that is, but there's no rust there. And then apparently, you can't steal in heaven. Maybe everything's just free. I don't know. So there's no thieves. There's none of that stuff. In verse 21, he goes this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, so immediately Jesus is challenging the status quo and saying, hey, be careful because as a normal person, you think collection and consumption, right? But here's the problem. When you live a life of collecting stuff, here's what you need to know. Because I'm a pastor and I do a lot of funerals. I don't know if you know that or not. I do funerals and weddings and that's my deal. So, so when, but when I do funerals, here's what I know. Is that 20 minutes after your funeral, they're eating food. And then family members are fighting about who gets what you've been collecting. That's just what I know. So I, I hope I didn't rain on your parade today. It's, it's raining anyway. It doesn't matter. So, so, so that's what, so, so all of your collection. So some of us spend our whole life collecting stuff, trying to get more. Some of us live in fear of not having enough. So we just collect and hoard stuff. My mom is a hoarder. If you go, like, she's not like so bad that she's on television hoarding, but my mom's a hoarder. She can't let stuff go. And it's like we're hoarding, we're collecting, we're consuming, but guess what? None of that stuff gets to go with you. And so Jesus says you might want to make a mental shift that all the stuff that you've been consuming and collecting, it doesn't get to heaven. Think about this real quick here. It doesn't get to heaven. I want you to think about what does get to heaven. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I want you to think about putting stuff up in there because you live here for a split second. You live there for eternity. I don't know about you, but like, here's the deal. Some of y'all are so up on your toys. And I mean like your grown-up toys. 
Like I know dudes that are like, dude, check this out. And they, sh- they love showing off their toys. I, I feel like there's going to be this, this, this kind of sad moment when you get to heaven and you realize like you didn't get any of those toys with you and because you weren't eternally minded, you ain't got no toys in heaven now. Because you didn't put no treasure up in there. And there's other people that lived a life that was weird. We'll talk about this weird life. And they've been storing up stuff forever. And when they get to heaven, I don't think they'll rub it in your face. But they might. And they're going to be like, where's your toys at now, sucker? And so, because there's clearly this idea. The Bible teaches the idea of something in heaven. Something for eternity. Let's just keep going. There's more to this. So, the Bible says this in verse 22. This is all in one straight set. He goes, he goes weird right here. This is, now, this is weird. <laughs> This don't even make no sense weird. The lamp of the body is the eye. We say that the, the window to the soul is the eye. The eye is the window to the soul. Apparently the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that's just weird. And that sounds kind of guruish, but here's the deal. And it took me years. I just This is one of those verses I would skip over because it didn't make any sense to me. Until I was reading like the way a Hebrew person would read this. In Hebrew culture, this was an idiom to them. Not an idiot, an idiom. An idiom. So like, you know, like we have all kinds of idioms and they're fun. Like you ever say a penny for your thoughts? There, there was no penny exchange, really. It was just a, it was just a phrase. You, you ever say this, the man that cost me an arm and a leg? You still got, you still got your arms and your legs. That's not real. Uh, don't beat around the bush. There was no bush, no beating. It's just a phrase, right? It's American idiom. It's all these weird things that we say. And guess what? Can you imagine going to a foreign language uh, or a foreign country? Imagine maybe going to South Africa and they speak this kind of, kind of weird Afrikaans and part English and whatever. We'd be like, stop beating around the bush. Dude, why are you trying to beat my bush? What are you? Stop it. Um, idioms don't make sense in other cultures. This was a Jewish idiom, a Hebrew idiom. And it simply meant this. If your eye was full of light, you were generous. That's it. If your eye was full of darkness, it's because you were greedy and stingy. And so that was the whole idiom. Let's keep going here, because then he, then he gets up and he wraps up with this one really big thought, and he throws in a weird word that most of us don't know. The Bible says in verse 20, 24, Jesus is speaking, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Everybody say mammon. So what is mammon? Well, clearly the context is he's talking about your money, your stuff, eternal, being generous or being stingy. Then he gets to this idea of no one can serve two masters. Everybody say no one. What this means is this. You're not the exception. Okay, so like, because this is what we all do. Sometimes when we hear people say stuff, we're like, well, I'm the exception to that. Or we start thinking about all the ways that we're like, well, technically not this. Or, well, I can do this too, or whatever. According to Jesus, this is an absolute statement that no one falls outside of this two categories. Either you're doing this or you're doing that. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot ride the fence. You cannot do both. It is absolutely on point this or that. And no one is the exception. No one can serve both God and yeah, mammon, this weird word. Now, here's where mammon comes from. Mammon is an Aramaic word that simply means riches. And at first glance, you, you, you get to think, well, maybe God is anti-money. You know, the, doesn't the Bible say that money's the root of all evil and money must be bad or whatever it is? And the answer to that is no, that money is not bad. Money is not immoral. Money is amoral, meaning it doesn't matter. It's just a thing. It's what you do with it that ultimately matters. 
Now, here's what you may not know is that even though it was an Aramaic word that means riches, if you go back far enough and you look at Babylonian, this is ancient, ancient, thousands and thousands of years ago, ancient history, the, the Babylonians took this, and when they were living in a pagan society, how many know like in a, pagan, in a pagan world, before they kind of figured out how the world is and works and how God had actually set it in order, they would look at the sun and say, well, we need sunshine, so there must be a, a sun god. And we need rain, so there, uh, there's probably somewhere a, a rain god. And then there, we, we love the river. Remember the river Nile, we, everything around the river Nile was lush, and so let's play and make sure the river god is doing good, and so we'll give and sacrifice to the river god because we want him to keep hooking it up. And then we need harvest, so we need to harvest. There's a harvest god, I bet. You know what? Big thing was having babies, so that it was like a, a, a baby god, believe it or not. I don't want to get into the details of that one. Um, all kinds of gods. So whenever you needed something, you were like, there must be a god that controls that thing. Well, how many of you know, people eventually figured out, I want riches, I want wealth, there must be a wealth god. And so mammon became a deity that they worshipped. And so ultimately, it was the Syrian god of riches. And this was, again, when you look at the Old Testament, you find all these like deities and things that they worship. Mammon would have been one of those things way back in the day that people looked at and said, man. Now, think about this. Mammon wasn't a deity that they were worshiping in Jesus' day, but he was playing on something. He was saying, you need to recognize this, is that no one can, can get out of this thing right here, that either you're going to serve one or the other, love one and hate the other, love one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and this spirit of wealth, the spirit of mammon. Now, here's, here, again, money's not evil and money's not immoral, but money can have a spirit on it. And the spirit that's on it is basically what you do with it and how your heart is attached to a thing. Does that make sense? And so when your heart, this, and this is ultimately what mammon says. Mammon is a master, right? It was a spirit. They would worship it. And he's, Jesus is saying nothing's changed. It's still a spirit. There are people that have a spirit about them. When they look at money, their heart is attached to it. And it's the spirit of mammon. And the spirit of mammon ultimately says this, is that money will solve all your problems. That's what the spirit of mammon says. And this is so true in our culture, and, and, and I'll prove it. How many times in life do we go through things and we think, even as a Christian you'll do this, if you're in a bad enough situation, eventually you'll say, either I need God to do a miracle or I need to win the lottery. And we daydream about if I only had this, or if, my, if I, I wish I had a rich uncle that died. Don't act like you don't. You're laughing because it's funny. You, you, so many of us wish that, that like something could happen or we could inherit or come into or all of a sudden receive or get so much money because we believe this in our heart of hearts. This is the spirit of mammon. That if we had more money, that that would give us significance, that that would give us happiness, that that would, give, that that would be the solution to all of our problems. And that's the spirit of mammon. And ultimately, when you look at the way the people in this world operate, we think money is the solution and money is the answer. And that's why we go searching for it. And here's the deal. We can see this because when you have that, that kind of spirit of mammon in your mind, in your heart, and the way that you view money and look at stuff, you do think, think about it. Everything then becomes about something greedy, something materialistic, something selfish, something about me. This is, again, the thing that separates weird people from normal people. And we've said this. If you want what normal people have, just keep doing what normal people do. But if you want something that few people have, you'll need to do what few people do. And you'll need to make this radical adjustment to how you view and how you see 
money. And Jesus pointed to it and said, it's this thing called mammon. Now watch this real quick here. There's a second place that Jesus uses this word mammon. It's in Luke chapter 16, and this time it wasn't in a sermon. He put it on the end of one of these parables. Now I'm going to tell you something about this. This is the weirdest parable in all the Bible. Are you ready? This parable is confusing, but we're going to read it together. So Jesus is talking to a group of his disciples, and he says this. He goes, there was a certain rich man who had a steward or a manager. So I want you to think this. There's an owner, really wealthy, but he doesn't run the business. He's got a manager that runs the business for him. And an accusation was brought to him that this manager was wasting all the goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, of your management you can no longer be the manager. Then the manager said within himself, because we all talk to ourselves, right? So he starts talking to himself, what am I going to do? My master's taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do. That when I am put out of this job, they may receive me into their houses. Who's they? You're about to find out. So then he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, Hey, how much do you owe my boss? And the guy says, A hundred measures of oil. He said, Quick, take your bill. Write down 50 instead. Now, I mean, no, that would be awesome. That's what we want as well. We would love Visa and IRS to call us up and be like, Hey, what do you owe? Cut in half. <laughs> then he goes to another one and says, How much do you owe my boss? He says, A hundred measures of wheat. So the manager, who's about to get fired, says to him, Take your bill. Instead, cross that out and write 80. So the master, now this is, where the, this is where the story pivots. It is so crazy. Now, what the guy's doing, if we were to compare it last week to the character message, is he doing what is right? Is he doing the integrous thing? Is he doing the honest thing? In our society, if he did that, he would be prosecuted and locked up. What he has done is certainly a dirty, shady, rotten, no good thing. Can we all agree to that? And this is why the parable is so confusing until we get and figure it all out. So, this is verse 8. So the master commended. This is, it doesn't make, he commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, I don't know about you, but if you took my money and started stealing it and messing it up and, and hosing me and taking advantage of me, I'm probably not going to congratulate you. I'm probably not going to give you a thank you note with a wow, I'm really impressed. Maybe I should hire you back. This is what's so weird. The master commends or congratulates or even recognizes what the guy has done. He said, hey, I'm kind of impressed. Look how shrewdly you dealt with this situation. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now this other weird statement comes out. For the sons of this world, meaning normal people, not, not the weird people, not the sons of light, normal people, they're shrewd. They are willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. They're willing to, they're willing to take all the time and opportunity they have right now and leverage it for more. That's shrewd, isn't it? Isn't that what being shrewd is? I'm going to be as crafty and as clever as I can to get everything I can to get me a secure and blessed an abundant future. He goes, that's what being shrewd is. And the people of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. What he's pointing to is, 
is that there's something that, that Jesus' followers have missed. There's something that they even have forgotten or, or, or lost sight of that normal people have. And it's not the act, because how many of you are kind of confused right now? It's kind of, you're like, okay, okay. It's going to make sense when we get into the next, because Jesus explains it. What Jesus is explaining is this. I'm not going to commend what the guy did exactly, but I want to commend the principle behind it and let you see something bigger. Are you ready? Next verse. Because the next verse begins with, and I say to you. So Jesus shifts out of telling a story into talking to people. So now he went from like this story where they're commending the bad guy into, now let me tell you what this means. And I say to you, everybody say, that's me. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous, everybody say mammon. There's this mammon word again. He said, make friends for yourself by this unrighteous mammon that when you fail, everybody say fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Let's stay here for a second. Everybody say everlasting home. These are the keys. Everybody say friends, everlasting home, mammon. This is really where the parable begins to make more sense because what he's saying is this. This is a parable about time, money, and opportunity. And what the bad guy did was he leveraged all the time and opportunity that he had to set himself up something for his future. And what I want the sons of light to do is to think the same way, but so much bigger. I want you to leverage all of your time, talent, resources, and opportunity, and I want you to leverage it for something in your future. But think big. So watch this. Everybody say friends. So the idea is this. When he talks about making friends that will receive you into an everlasting home, let me ask you this. What's the everlasting home for people who follow God? Heaven is. What's the only thing in this world now that gets into heaven? People. One person said it. Thank you so much. That was my wife. Um, so so let, let's do this again. How, what in this world gets into heaven? People. That's it. So what he's saying is this. He goes, I want you to think as shrewdly as the people of this world. I just want you to think about it in such a big eternal way. Because here's what weird people really do. They recognize that I got a little bit of time, I got a little bit of talent, a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of money, a little bit of resources. What can I do now to set up what goes on in eternity? That's what the sons of life, that's what weird people do. They think so much bigger. How many of you know that it is wise to plan for the future? How many believe it's wise to save for the future? How many think it's wise to save for your retirement because you're thinking ahead? What Jesus is saying is, that's great. I just want you to think really far ahead. Don't think about your retirement. Think about your eternity. And when he says friends, what he's ultimately saying is this. Your life right now has the ability to connect other people to God in such a way that they get to heaven one day. And when you walk into your, 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 your pearly gates, when you walk into heaven, when they're there to, to receive you, I want you to know that you have the opportunity to be greeted by people whose lives were changed because of what you did now. Your giving, your church, your invitation, your missions projects, all the stuff that you've done in the world, all the stuff that you've leveraged with your time and money, I want you to know that it made a difference in other people's... Like, there's some of us, we're going to get to heaven and African people will greet us. And they're going to say, somebody gave us water in the name of Jesus. And I turned towards God and began to learn and grow. And I'm here because you provided the ability for us. And so like, 
you're going to have these strange encounters when you're going to get to heaven because somehow through this unrighteous mammon, this thing that, that other people would take advantage of, you took advantage of it in the kingdom way. You made yourself friends, people that would get to heaven and they would greet you when you got into your everlasting home. So, so I guess here's my point. When you ask the question, how do weird people see their stuff? Number one is this, is that weird people see their stuff and everything as a tool. It's just a tool. When you think of it as mine, and you think of it as something to collect or something to consume, you've missed the point. But when you all of a sudden look at your stuff, you're like, this is just a tool. This is just a way to get other people to heaven so that when I get there, I'm greeted by these people into my everlasting home. It's just a tool. It's as simple as that. And so God's kind of looking and asking you the question, did you take the little bit of time and the little bit of opportunity and leverage it not to see what you could consume and collect right now. Remember what Jesus said? But rather what you could store up as a treasure in heaven. What's the only thing that gets from here to heaven? People. So what's the only treasure that you can store up? People. What's the only thing that really matters to God anyway? It, the answer is not Jesus. I feel like we're in kids' church and like the answer is always Jesus. I'm going to screw this up if I say people. So I really want you to say people like really loud. What does God really care about? People. What's the thing that actually gets to heaven? People. What's the treasure you can store up? People. Okay, there we go. It's people. It's, it's people. And he's saying, I want you to look at all of your stuff, every one of your resources, all of your money as, as a tool, first and foremost. Next verse says this. This is verse 10. Jesus continues with this teaching to explain the weird parable. Remember, he wasn't commending the guy in what he did. He was commending the principle of a guy who was leveraging right now for something eternal, something in his future. Verse 10 says this, though. He adds a point to it. He goes, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. But the same is also true. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also when he has a lot. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous what? Mammon, we're back to the mammon thing, this idea of wealth and resources and riches. If you can't be faithful with it, who will commit your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So he, he, he goes on to start off saying, like, you need to leverage everything you've got to get people to heaven because that's the only thing that matters anyway. It's a tool. But the next thing he says about weird people, the way they see their money, is that everything is ultimately a test. It's just a test. Isn't that what Jesus said when he was saying, hey, look, if you're faithful with what is little, you'll be faithful with big. If you're unjust with what is little, you'll be unjust with big. And, and it, it, it gives you this idea that God is watching what you do. How many of you kind of believe that? We don't always want that to be true. But when it comes to our stuff and our resources, you just need to know God is watching what you do. And what he's saying is this, and if you really want to look at it, God has three kind of standards by which he judges how much he can trust you with. The first one was, he said he would judge you in how you handle what is least. Does that make sense? See, there's some of you in here today who are never generous or faithful with your giving, and your mindset is, well, I don't have anything to give. And the problem is with that thinking is that if you truly believe that you don't have anything to give, you probably will never have anything to give. Because what God is saying is this. I'm watching what you do in the seemingly insignificant moments. I'm watching what you do with... Because look, here, here's the deal. If you can't tithe off $10, trust me, you will not tithe off of 1000 
I promise you, I went, when I started as a young man and taught, somebody taught me about tithing, I thought, Psh, this is easy. Do you know why it was easy? Because I was broke and didn't have no money. You know why it was easy to write a check that was a tithe check? Because it was small and it wasn't that big of a deal. When you're writing like, yeah, 30 bucks, there you go. Because that's all, you're tithing off of $300. Wait until you start making more money and you, all of a sudden you're writing bigger checks and you know what you really do? You're like, holy crap, I have to give how much? Y'all got quiet up in here. Because you're like, oh my, when, you, when your check starts having zeros and zeros and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to give how much? What it does is it really challenges you, but it's all a test. And what he's saying is, is I want to see how you handle. Now watch this. There's three of them. I told you how you handle what is seemingly insignificant, what is least. The other one is how you handle money. Because he goes on to say, I want to see and judge how you handle this unrighteous mammon. And the third one, funny enough, is this. He goes, I'm watching and seeing and judging to see how you handle other people's stuff. So what is seemingly insignificant, how do you manage that? Your money, how do you manage that? What is other people's stuff? How do you manage that? And that's such a true test, because if, really, if you really see somebody that, that borrows stuff and then breaks it, borrows stuff and then just adopts it, borrows stuff and never wants to return it, or, or they just take, you know, again, if you're the person that takes rental cars and uses, uh, you know, bumpers as, or, or speed bumps as launching ramps, that's not your car. God may be watching how you manage what is somebody else's in that mind. I'm just, I'm just giving you a thought that you need to be careful what is other people's stuff. You need to be careful with what you do with what is seemingly insignificant. And you definitely need to be careful with what you do with money because ultimately, this is the way, this is the way it looks. Remember I told you that, that normal people look at money and say, that's mine, right? Everybody say mine. Really, really weird people, what they do is this. They don't look at money as mine. Because the Bible teaches this idea of stewardship. Isn't that the whole point of the parable? That there was a steward? There was an owner that owned everything, but then there was a steward that was just managing. A really, really weird person does not look at money as mine. They look at money as God's, and I'm just simply a manager. That's it. It's not mine. Even the Bible speaks of the tithe as being the Lord's. If you look at the last verse in the book of Leviticus, it says, bring the tithe, for it is the Lord's. So if you want to talk about how you manage other people's stuff, you need to recognize that the tithe is not yours, it's God's. So how are you managing what's not actually yours? This is the barometer, this is the gauge, this is the test. And weird people just look at everything that they have, not only as a tool, but even as a test. It's weird. It's different. It's not normal. Let's keep reading. He says one last thing and we'll be done. He goes back to this big idea that we just heard in Matthew 6. He says in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, there's that word again, mammon. So not only is everything that you have a tool to try to get people into heaven because that's the only thing that lasts anyway. Not only is your stuff a test by which God, because here's what God's really judging. Can I give you more? Can I entrust you with more? This is a, this is a dumb, obvious question. How many of you want God to trust you with more? Some of y'all are scared now. You're like, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. No, I don't even know now. No, no, no. How many of you want God to bless you with more? How many of you want God to trust you with more? When you get to heaven, how many of you want to be in charge of more or have more opportunity or have more responsibility in the kingdom that is to come? I don't even know how that all works, but the Bible speaks of these ideas. And so I, I don't know about you, but I want God to trust me so much. But the only way that God and the parameter and the test is this. 
How do you handle these things, the seemingly insignificant, other people's stuff and money? How do you manage those things? And you can really see this to be true. People that manage their money well know how to manage stuff because money's the hardest thing to manage typically. And so the next thing, though, he says is, he goes, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one, hate the other. And he gets to the bottom and he says this, you cannot serve both God and mammon. The last thing that weird people do with their money is they see it as a tool, they see it as a test, but they also see it as a trademark. And, he, and here's what I mean. I couldn't find a word that best fit it. What he's saying is this, though. What he's saying is, is that there's something about money that attaches to your heart. It's kind of hard to qualify and quantify and totally wrap your mind around. Remember in the first verses, he goes, for wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. What does that mean? It means that there's something connected about your treasure and your heart. There's something about your heart and your wallet that somehow connect. And we know this to be true because when we spend money or lose money or give money, there's all kinds of things going on inside of us. And Jesus is saying there's absolutely something connected to your money and your heart. You can't avoid it. And people that put God first, they use it as a tool. They see it as a test and they put God first in every way that they can those people prove that I sit on the throne of their heart. Because when I say trademark, I mean like it's like a brand. Does that make sense? Meaning like you know whose I am because of what I do with all my stuff. You can tell I'm a Jesus follower because only weird Jesus followers would ever give the first 10% of all of their resources and income to God. Only, only weird Jesus people would do that. That doesn't make any sense because in a normal sense you would say, Todd, if I give more away, I'll have less. And the kingdom person would say the opposite. He would say, if I give more, I end up with more because the system is different. It doesn't work the same way because in your system to be first, you need to get ahead and be first. But Jesus said, if you want to be first, you need to be Last, he, you would think that, Todd, for me to experience the most out of life, I need to consume and collect. And Jesus said, actually, if you want to find your life, the best way that you can do it is to lose your life. That, that I want to be great, and for me to be great, I need to rise and climb and have and have status and have all these things. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to serve. So the kingdom is inverted. It's just different. Because what you do in this life follows the track of normal, but it leads to a path of destruction. He goes, but there's a, there's a narrow path. And if you'll find this narrow path, it will lead to an abundant life here and in the life to come. Because all that stuff you've been consuming and collecting, people are fighting over 20 minutes after your funeral. You don't get to keep it. But there is something that does last forever. It's an eternal treasure. It's when you live a life to where everything you have is a tool, a test, and a trademark of who owns my heart. And when I do that, when I see that money's not mine, it's actually God's, and I'm just the steward, everything changes. And what happens is this. This is the, this is the benefit and the bonus for you. You step into this blessing and favor. You step into this thing whereby God looks at you and says, I can trust this guy, I can trust this girl, with anything. They don't hold anything back. There's no greed. There's no pride. There's no selfishness in them. I literally can give them everything. This is ultimately if you look at why God chose Moses. How do you choose a guy to lead an entire nation and start a nation and do all this stuff? And he said he found Moses, who was the meekest man in all the earth. He was a guy that literally wasn't trying to hoard power. He was the person that was 
even afraid of power to a certain degree and wanted to be so respectful and responsible of power and he didn't want to hoard it and abuse it and take advantage of it. And he goes, that's the guy I can trust. I can trust the person who realizes that it's not theirs. It's just a stewardship. Because here's what you need to know. Life is a stewardship. Let me ask you this question and we'll close on this. How long is your life really? It's just a small window of time. It's not yours. It was given to you. Did you give yourself life? No. Does it last? No. So your life, the life that you have in this world, it's a stewardship. It's temporary. And somehow God holds us accountable. That should be awe-inducing in us. Like, oh my gosh. I need to be, my, my whole life is a stewardship. All of my stuff is a stewardship. Everything is a stewardship. And God's now looking at it as a test. And he's looking to see if I'll use it as a tool. And he's seeing and watching how I do it. Because it's really evidence and proof of what really lies inside of the depths of my heart. Not when I show up at church on Sunday and I look nice. But what I do all the time. It's a reflection of what's truly in my heart. And here's the deal. When that spirit of mammon is in our heart, I'm telling you, it just changes us into these different people. All of a sudden, money is mine. And I'll do with it what I want. Money is mine and I'll collect it or consume it in any way that I want. But when you're a manager, you say, you know what, God, that's yours. I'm just here because my life is a stewardship. It's temporary and we're all accountable. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, God, that we would take this message and wrestle with it. That, God, that, that this is not a sermon about you trying to get more money out of us. But, God, it's... It might be the sermon that helps get the most blessing to us. Because I believe, God, that when we put you first, when we become a little bit weird about the way we see our stuff, that when we'll, when we'll give first, tithe first, put you first, put our heart set on you, God, we'll see all of our stuff as a, as a tool to help other people get to heaven. God, it's a game changer. It changes everything. And so, Father, I pray that, God, in our hearts, we would wrestle with this, God. In our hearts, we would wrestle out that spirit of mammon that says money is the answer. Money's the thing that'll provide. Money is the solution. It's not, God, you are the solution. God, you are the answer. Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.